Hello and welcome to another edition of Ask the Experts here on City News 570. I'm joined today by Faisal Walla. Faisal is ranked within the top three real estate brokers in the world for REMAX and was recently named Canada's top agent for 2022. Faisal started his career at the young age of 18 and he has been delivering outstanding results for over 30 years now most notably with REMAX Twin City Realty. Faisal is here today to talk everything from greenbelt conversions to extending amortization rates. How are you, Faisal? I'm very well, thanks, Brock. How are you? I'm, I'm, I'm well as well, enjoying this beautiful weather out here. And uh, welcome back to the show. Listeners, if you are interested in any of the information we discuss over the next hour, please reach out to Faisal. You can start your journey at homeshack.com. You can call him directly, 519-624-5555, or email Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, if we get started and, and we uh, we jump right in, two feet, um, what happened in the first quarter, and, and where do you think we're headed this year? Well, the first quarter has been very, very strong. I think it was just a matter of people getting tired of sitting on the sidelines, nothing really happening. Uh, it, it, you know, inflation started coming into control. Um, we saw a real low point, September, October, November of 2022. Um, and then by December, we started seeing some hope with the freeze on the interest rate hikes. Um, sure. As soon as we had a few consecutive Freezes on the interest rate uh, hikes, we saw that people started getting that confidence back in. And ultimately, they decided that sitting on the sidelines may not be the answer. So let's hop back in. And a lot of it is just herd mentality. If you know, you're not doing it, I'm not going to do it. Oh, you're jumping in, I'll jump in too. Um, I've always preached going against the grain, going against the crowd and sort of paving your own way, because when everyone is exiting, that's probably a good time to buy. Right. And um, not everyone buys into that theory, but it's it's certainly worked for me in, in my real estate acquisitions. Um, and throughout throughout last year, when I was on your show, I was continuously saying that, you know, sitting on the sidelines is probably not a great idea. Um, we we did that chart and we talked about how, yes, interest rates are up, but if you look at what the prices have done, so interest rates may have gone up 2%, 3%, but right. prices went down 30%. So your actual monthly payment, let's say you were able to afford $3,500 a month, it would have bought you a million dollar home in the peak of the market when the rates were low. Now that would have bought you, say, $785,000 worth of home, but your payment didn't change as a result of the fact that the price of the home matched your payment, even at a higher interest rate. So fast forward to today, as we sit here, you know, near the end of May, um, we are up 12 to 15% on the average price of a single detached home. Uh, we're seeing multiple offers back into play. Uh, every home that is priced well is actually selling for significantly over its asking price. We're still not back up to the February and March of 2022 price range. So we took a 30% dip on average last year. We've recovered 12 to 15%. So there's still a 15% discount over the peak of the market. So is it a good time to buy? Absolutely. And, and you bring up a good point, that idea of of if we compare it to February of 2022, sometimes that's not really even a, a fair comparison, is it? 
No, not at all. It was just it, it was sort of the wild, wild west, literally, of, of of the real estate business. And it's like something we've never seen before. You know, we hadn't seen 60% appreciation in real estate values in 15 years. And we mm -hmm. saw that in a short period of time, like literally in two years during COVID, we saw a 60% escalation in, in, in values. And uh, it wasn't a sustainable growth, but it was also a necessary uh, situation given the fact that we were in COVID, uh, this whole de-urbanization movement, interest rates had dropped significantly, um, lowest in historically anyways. And, and now we're seeing um, you know, a lot of adjustments happening, but let's not forget, regardless of what the interest rates do, what inflation is doing, what the market is doing, we have a massive shortage of housing in our region specifically. So we need 80,000 homes in the next seven years, and that is going to be the catalyst for continuous appreciation in values. It's supply and demand. It's a pretty simple formula. There's not enough supply, lots of demand. Prices will continue to rise regardless of what interest rates do. And and you bring up that other point as well too, and it and it and it taps into exactly what you're talking about the fact that um, you know we we do have this massive shortfall, and you are seeing as you said multiple offers, and that's something that maybe had, had died off a little bit, but now it's coming back, isn't it? It, it absolutely is coming back, and you know now we're hearing some whispers. Uh, segue into to what's happening in the next little while here um we're seeing whispers of or hearing whispers of um interest rates going up in the next couple of weeks here um and again you know there's the big i word inflation and interest right so inflation went up we were not expecting it to in fact the forecasts were that it was going to decline and it was down to you know four 4.1%. So it was continuing to decline. Now it went up a little bit. So here's the, the threat again, coming from the Bank of Canada, that in order to control inflation, we're going to rise the interest rates again. Now, will it go up? There's a good chance that we could see a quarter percent, possibly a half a percent, which would be very aggressive. But mm -hmm we got to keep in mind that did it make a difference? It really didn't do anything. What they're doing when they raise the interest rates is they hit the pause button on the buying population and the sellers put the pause button on selling. What does that create? Pent up demand. And mm -hmm. when they readjust saying, oh, we overcorrected or we overshot on this whole interest rate thing, let's claw it back. People just jump right back in. There has to be a different solution than just adjusting interest rates in order to create this inflation uh, correction. And, and what my recommendation has been is get that supply chain situation under control, get get materials affordable, get the labor back into the marketplace, get it's hard to find trades. Builders are not going to build. If they can't find trades, if their construction costs are being prolonged, they're better to pause, just like everybody else has been doing, until such time that there is a correction in the market value. And that's like that's where you know demand um, on consumer goods went down, so so prices started coming down, helping the whole inflation situation. But 
the Bank of Canada seems to think that every time they raise the interest rate, uh, it's going to correct the inflation. Well, I think it's just it's it's just artificial correction that's happening, um, and people are just pausing and they're not going to buy as a result of that. But again, I go back to the buyers and say, don't look at the interest rates. Prices will always match your payment. Right. So regardless of where interest rate is, don't get hung up on that. And to sellers. Who are thinking about selling their home this year, I would argue that the next 60 days are going to be very, very crucial because okay. as long as the interest rates remain fairly low, which is, you know, a three-year rate is around just under 5% right now. So maybe don't lock in for a five-year, lock in for a two-year or a three-year right. rate and and play that market but get into the market and for sellers it's a really good time to consider putting your home on the market before the renewals come in in september where the rates are going to be jacked up and people are going to start having trouble keeping up with their mortgage payments if if so we've got that sort of 60-day window if we jump forward and we take a look at the end of 2023 what what do you if you're looking in your crystal ball what do you what do you see happening right at, by the end of the year where will we be well i certainly see a softening in the market just like typically speaking, the fall market always slows down. Our mm. demand in this region comes from the GTA. So June, July, August, September, you're going to get that surge, the influx of buyers coming in from those uh, external markets, and they want to settle in before the kids get into school. They want to be right. settled in before the winter. Um, so we're going to see that 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 peak happen just right now, May, June, part of July, we're going to see a peak happen. September, two things happen. The demand decreases because we don't have people relocating outside of the region at that time. But this year specifically, we got to go back five years to 2018. In 2018, people were getting mortgages at 28 3.2%, 3.5%. Their five-year mortgage renewals are going to come up in August, September, because that's when they moved into their home. Right. That's the time of reckoning. That's when we will see what the fallout is going to be on not just people renewing their mortgages, but sadly, the government assured all of us two years ago that their interest rates are going to remain low. They didn't. They went up. They went up seven right. times. So the uh, an open mortgage or a line of credit on a, on a home line of credit is 7.2% right now. All of all of those folks that got their homes for $400,000 and $500,000 back in 2018, in 2021, enjoyed the appreciation at a million dollars for the same home. So what did they right. do? They went to the bank. They got 80% financing on that money. Now they have a, a home line of credit sitting at 7% interest. Right. That's all going to get wrapped into one big mortgage come July, August, September. And those folks are having a difficult time right now. Sadly, I'm having so many conversations with sellers who are saying, you know, we need to downsize or we need to sell because we cannot afford the renewal at the renewal rates. So right. there will be, in my opinion, a slowdown in September, October, November. Um, but interest rates may climb by then as well. And then if we go into, you know, really crystal ball this and go into spring of next year, we're going to be right back where we are. So okay. if you think, you know, I'm not going to do something right now because I'm going to get a better deal down the road. Chances are you're going to just pay more next year. So there really isn't a, a right time to buy. It's right. when it's right for you. Okay, great advice. Great advice. We're coming up on a break here on Ask the Experts. When we come back, developing the green belt. 
What is that going to look like? Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, billion-dollar real estate broker, Faisal Suziwala. Listeners, if you would like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly, 519-624-5555, or through email, Faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, before the break, we were talking about the first quarter of the year. We actually had the crystal ball go through and into uh, into 2024 as well. But what advice would you have right now for, for buyers and sellers? What do they need to know? For buyers, I would say, look, we've come out of a, a market where everybody had paused six months, nine months. They weren't buying. They were just waiting on the sidelines. Um, they were paying ridiculous amounts of rent. So what they did was they helped the rental market do very well. Landlords did significantly well. They're getting 30 to 40 percent premium on their rents right now. Um, as a matter, as a result of buyers just not getting into the market. So don't make that mistake and let your money just go dwindle away in in, in rent get into the market regardless look you're not going to get that white picket fence and that forever home but get yourself into some form of real estate don't sit on the sidelines and wait for things to happen because regardless of where the interest rates go prices will always match your payment and your ability to match that uh that purchase so so don't wait on the sidelines waiting for something you know, significant, dramatic to happen, just get into it. Even if you've got to buy a home with an income suite or something, just to, just to get sitting in, sitting on the sidelines is not going to achieve any sort of wealth for you. Getting your money invested in real estate certainly will. Great, great advice. And I know that you, you talk in your book, you talk about that idea, even back when you were 18, you got started on it. And it's a long, it's a long game, isn't it? It's not something that uh, it's not going to turn around really quickly. And I've, a lot of people think that it might be that case, but uh, you got to be in for the long haul. And as you said, get your foot in the door and you can always, you can always move up. The home that uh, my wife and I started off in was big enough for the two of us. But as soon as the little ones came along, we had to look, uh, we had to look elsewhere. So great advice. If we're on the other end of things and we're the sellers, what, what do we need to be knowing right now? So as, as a seller, you know, a lot of sellers are still looking in the rearview mirror saying, oh, I should have sold back in March of 2022 and the prices were 25% higher than they are today. But it's all relative. Yes, they were 25% higher unless you were cashing out and never buying again. Yes, it would have been a great opportunity to sell your home. But if you are turning that money back into another property, it's all relative. If you got a ton of money for your home, chances are you paid a ton of money for the next house that you purchased. So I, like, again, buy when it's right time for you, sell when it's the right time for you, but never take your money out of real estate. Always keep it in some format invested in real estate so that you have tax-free principal home appreciation and that will help you invest in the future. It will help you throughout your retirement. There's so many things that can be achieved through real estate ownership. Great advice. And that's why people tune in. Uh, Faisal's been at it a long time. We, you, you touched on this in the first block, the idea of a 60,000 uh, home shortage in the area. We know that the, the provincial premier, Doug Ford, he's been making headlines lately around converting parts of the green belt uh, in order to develop more homes, obviously. Um, what are your thoughts when, it, when we're looking at the green belt and, and the decisions that they're making right now? 
You know, I don't always agree with the premier's uh, philosophies and his his mandates, but I, on this one, I think he's got it right. And I know it's it's a not not a popular opinion right now to say that, but it is important to say it because look, we have such a vast country. We have so much land in this country. Why does the entire concentration of you know ag prime agricultural land have to be in urbanized areas and city centers? where we are already facing, it's an 80,000 home shortage in our region alone. Uh, we need 1.5 million homes in Canada. So you know what, if there's a large chunk of agricultural land uh, in an urbanized uh, setting or in an urbanized area, why not allow the boundaries to be extended into those areas, provided there's a replacement of that land elsewhere in Canada? Yes, we may have to pay some extra transportation fees, but what it will do, it will create affordable housing so that you can have that disposable cash to pay for the transportation cost of that food to enter your your, your plates. But right. when Doug Ford came up with this proposition, you know, everyone's dwelling on the fact that he's taking away 7,500 acres of Agri prime agricultural land. What they're not mentioning is that he's added 9,500 acres in other areas. Right. So there's still a net gain of 2,000 acres of land that's being added. So it's very easy to criticize when you don't know the entire picture. And I'm not certainly not claiming to, to say I know the entire picture, but I'm saying from a practical perspective, it makes sense that if you drive out 10 minutes from the urbanized boundaries of Kitchener, Cambridge, Waterloo, Guelph, there's tons and tons of land. And you look at this land and, you know, there's there's crops on them. And you look at this land and you say, you know, why are we congesting ourselves, putting ourselves in these tight, tight one bedroom, 550 square foot, when there's all this land here that we can expand onto? Or if you can create more supply, mm -hmm. automatically affordability follows. Right. And that's right. where I think the politicians, uh, the, the, the counselors, everyone has to be on side and get rid of this not my backyard NIMBY mentality saying, you know, I don't want this. I don't want that. Well, you can't on one hand um, complain about the fact that we don't have affordable housing. Our kids can never afford to buy a home. My kids still staying in my basement at 25 years old because they can't they can't afford to get out there. And at the same token, say, you know, that big patch of field that's in my backyard. Well, I don't want to see townhouses going in. Right. So, right. you know, you gotta make a decision here. What do you want? If you want the greater good, you've got to support these mandates. You've got to allow these things to happen. And I think, too, if we, if you look at, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in, in certain areas, especially with Greenbelt, you've already got infrastructure built almost right up to it. So it's not like there needs to be a huge investment in things like roads and and sewers and all of those other things as well, too. You can you can carry that into those areas fairly easily. Um, it, as you said, it's not a popular opinion, but it's also you you bring up that point of, uh, as you said, with with NIMBYism. It, it has to happen somewhere. We, If we need, as you said, and even in our region, 80,000 homes, they've got to be built somewhere. We've talked in the past about the idea of uh, people, you know, looking at putting in a, a tiny home or or other ways of, uh, of of dealing with things right now. But that's a fairly small, uh, a small uh, look at how you can, how you can make an impact. 
where if if you're looking from the government's perspective, you are dealing with with you know thousands and thousands of homes, and that's really where we need to be putting our energies right now. Absolutely. I like that idea. Yeah, go go ahead, Faisal. You know, you you see, and and what it is, it like farmland, agricultural land, um, it, it kind of pulls on people's heartstrings a little bit more. Yet you look at another industry, you look at the in, like the the industrial sectors where um, there were a lot of factories, and we see it all around our region. They were industrial stamping plants or textiles um, or all kinds of factories, food plants that have now been converted to residences, okay? And we don't see, we don't hear a lot of negativity around that. We don't hear, oh my God, they're taking away industrial land or they're taking away, because it's not, it doesn't pull on the heartstrings. And it's not a political sort of, statement to say oh you're taking away prime agricultural food lands from the community but it's no different that's still an industry that still produces um and what they've managed to do is put those industrial uh blocks in areas that are a accessible to the to the highways because you know you're transporting anyways so what difference is it if you have to transport and i know my 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 opinions are going to get a lot of criticism here but what difference does it make as long as you can transport food just like you transfer transport materials um that are produced in industry um it's no different it is an industry agricultural industry can be relocated anywhere across Canada, and then transportation costs will have to be taken into consideration. But maybe taking into consideration the tax base that is created with the residential um, agricultural land pays very, very little tax. So imagine the tax increases that the the municipalities will 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 obtain as a result of these developments so you're doing a lot of it allows for infrastructure it allows for more population to come into underserved right. areas allows for industry to thrive employment you know we need people we're running out of people to supply in industry and it's good with all the immigration that's happening we have to house people and there it is there's a solution There you go. Decisions of the heart versus decisions of the head. Not always easy to make, but uh, we do need to take a break. Uh, We'll get an update from the City News 570 News Centre. When we come back, Faisal and I will discuss the idea of extending amortization rates beyond 25 years or or down the road. We'll talk more about that when, uh, when we come back. Stay with us here on City News 570. Welcome back to the show. My guest today is Canada's top real estate broker and author of the book, The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker, Faisal Suziwala. If you'd like a chance to chat with Faisal yourself, you can start by going to homeshack.com. You can also call Faisal directly 519-624-5555 or through email faisal at homeshack.com. Faisal, before the break, we were talking about converting part of the green belt. Uh, the other piece of the puzzle, and you touched on this already, is the idea of nimbyism, not in my backyard. What is it in your mind that people are are really objecting to? You know, people have been accustomed to seeing, you know, a nice green belt in their backyard or a golf course in their backyard. And, and, and all of a sudden, a developer comes in or a builder comes in and says, I'm going to build a mid-rise or a high-rise in your backyard. Now, that's not what they signed up for. In fact, they paid a right. premium not to have any development in their backyard. Um, and 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 so I, I sympathize with the whole idea is that, look, I paid a premium to be on this green belt. Now, 
all the more reason that when you are purchasing a property that states it's a green belt, and I put that in quotes, really look into a who is the owner? Is it right. is it Crown Land? Is it um, under Grand River Conservation Authority if you're in the region of Waterloo and Guelph, um, or is it privately owned land that may at some point become a gravel pit? could become a development parcel, could become industrial. And so don't act very surprised if you never looked into what could potentially happen in your backyard, unless it's right. under some sort of conservation or protected land. And even that we're learning now, protected land can also get converted uh, by 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 a provincial order or federal order. So, you know, you cannot just say that. It's, so you have to expect something could happen in your backyard. What people don't want to see is high um, intensity, high density type of developments happening in their backyards where all of a sudden they're shadowed by these tall buildings that they weren't and unsightly buildings in some cases that they were not expecting to be there. So I think from a developer or builder's perspective, there has to be some level of respect for the neighbors, some consideration given to the aesthetics and that does it does it sort of fit the area? Can they make it look attractive? And um, but reality is, as we talked before the break, you can't say I you know I want affordable housing for my kids, and at this and, and the second breath say, but not in my backyard. And that's right. where there's a real disconnect. Um, I think the provincial order through Bill 23 is going to have a huge impact on this, and maybe the municipalities are going to say. Uh, I don't uh, support this application. City staff might say I don't support this application. Uh, Councillors may say I don't support these applications to have. But you remember, are, they are voted in. They have to look after their voters and constituents right. to make sure that they please them. But the province is going to come down and, and throw the hammer on this thing and say, that's nice, but we have a bigger problem. We have a housing crisis, and we're going to rubber stamp this project and and let it go through so yeah you can hold up builders it's just going to add to cost you can hold up developers it's just going to add to cost but ultimately given the mandate given the situation given the crisis given the need you can't have on one hand say the region of waterloo needs eighty thousand homes and then keep declining all the applications that are coming in so we're going to have to see more and more developments right in your backyard there's no choice and and I think you can even look at the the landscape of of Waterloo and Kitchener specifically, and how it has changed over the last say five or ten years, where we now have you know forty two story high rises. We've got fifty story high rises. It it is it is solving one of the problems and the fact that you, you know you've you've got more space for people, but it's a trade off because for years if you if you looked out over your you know your backyard or whatever. Uh, you didn't see those high rises, but it, it it just seems to be we know that the region is moving up instead of moving out, especially where we are right now and and hoping to to solve those problems. But as you said, we still have a long way to go. Absolutely. And I think from the, like, as I said, from the developers and builders perspective, as long as they can complement the existing neighborhood, offer some nice amenities, make it a nice looking, aesthetically pleasing development that complements the, the existing dwellings that are there, maybe not tower over them uh, mm -hmm. and create some sort of a buffer landscape. There's so many different ways of, of making a development look nice and still be able to blend in and still achieve the, the quota or the density that they want. 
Great, great discussion as always. If if we can shift our lens a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, another topic that's come up lately: amortization rates being extended beyond 25 years for home buyers. You know, 30, 40 year uh, amortization rates. Are there pros? Are there cons for a decision like this? Where where do where do you sit with something like this, Faisal? Well, the, the, there are pros because it allows more people to enter the market. The con there is, though, the same thing. It allows more people to enter the market. So here's the issue. We have a housing supply issue, and now you've just allowed more people by giving them affordability to enter the market. So the cost is going to go even higher because people are going to be bidding to buy that little amount of inventory that's available. So from a practical perspective, it totally makes sense to extend the amortization because your payment will go down. So it allows more people to come in, get their start, uh, get qualified where you know they may not qualify under the current 25-year amortization. Um, so so it's it's really it's really a catch. Um, if there was a way to to segregate who is allowed right. to purchase as opposed to let's blanket 30 years, 35 year, 40 year amortization across the board. So maybe there has to be just like there's a first time home buyer incentive. So let's say it's a first time home buyer. Let's give that first time home buyer who's never owned a home and is qualified the ability to move in and buy a home because it is their first home. But we don't want to do this for investors, for example, who are saying, oh, this is great. I'm going to buy this property at 40-year amortization or 30-year amortization. My payments are going to be really, really low. I'm going to charge a really, really high rent. And I'm going to flip that property for 20% appreciation or escalation. escalation right here. So what we want to do is avoid who is able to to, to buy that property or, or qualify for that amortization. And that might be a way to meet the, the benefits of it, but also discourage people from entering. And I, I know if, if we look south of the border, longer amortization rates tend to be there because, I mean, it's it's that, that frame of mind. In, in Canada, we're trying to pay off our mortgage in most cases as quickly as we can, right? So South of the border, it's a different story. So, and you you know you need to know what it is that you're getting yourself into, um, and and using that as you're saying, you you need to have some sort of measuring stick to say, does it make sense? Uh, you know, could we could we extend this if 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 uh, if if possible? In your mind, is this is this something that's going to change in the next year, the next six months, the next two years? Well, will we see these amortization rates extended? You know, I, I I don't think we will across the board. If and and if anything, and, and hopefully those powers that that be will will take that advice to say, yeah, it makes sense to just let's extend it just for first time home buyers. You have to prove that you're a first time home buyer, and for you, we'll give you up to forty years. That mm -hmm. gets them out of the rent market, and it allows them to enter, and it keeps the investors and the and and the flippers and everybody else that would love to have those long because they don't care. They're only in and out for a short one or two year period, or maybe yeah. even make it that you, if you enter into a 30 year amortization or 35 year amortization, you must keep that property for five years or seven years. So that it keeps you sort of fit into that problem in, in, into that qualifying. Great, uh, great ideas. And, and always important for us to, to take a look at, uh, 
all of the different angles that we we can come at, especially when we're we're dealing with, as you were saying and mentioning, coming up in in you know July, August, September, those people that are just coming out of a five year mortgage and are going to be going, I need you know I need some help. Make sure you you get a hold of Faisal and he'll give you some advice. And uh, we'll, we'll 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 things will work out. We'll figure out something as as we head along. Uh, we do need to take a final break here and ask the experts when we come back investment should you take the plunge in the real estate market you're listening to ask the experts here on city news 570 welcome back to the show my guest today faisal suziwala also known as canada's top real estate broker listeners if you would like a chance to chat with faisal yourself you can start by going to homeshack.com you can also call faisal directly 519-624-5555 or through email faisal at homeshack.com Faisal, let's take some time to talk about investing. Is real estate still a good investment vehicle or are investors moving in other directions right now in your mind? Uh, I believe, and of course, self-serving uh, comment here, that real estate is the best investment vehicle. And and I, I, I say that because... I put that to use in my entire life. I, right from the age of 18, I've been investing in real estate. I have been very fortunate in good times and in bad to be able to sustain my investments in real estate. And I've always taken the approach of never sell anything that you you buy and right. keep leveraging those items that you bought to buy more. Now, I'm not saying that real estate is the only investment vehicle. There's certainly value in diversifying and putting some money into other options, you know, stocks, whatever else that you might feel comfortable putting your money in. But if you, personally speaking, 75% of my investment portfolio sits in real estate because it's what I know. It's tangible, right? And here's the thing. You can print money. You can't print real estate. Right. You can't print land. You can't create more of this. And it's a depleting asset. There's not a lot of it out there. Um, so the supply is continuing to, to go down and the demand is continuing to increase as we're seeing when you look at real estate values. So real estate would be my number one investment vehicle. And the other is gold, believe it or not. Okay. Gold All right. Again, it's something else you can't you can't print it, right? It's you can't print it. They can't just go and say, okay, let's print more money here or more gold here or more land here because we need we have a shortage of it. So appreciation occurs. The greatest wealth is created through real estate. And it is created over time, but it's also something that you know you can leave behind, a legacy behind Mm -hmm. for your for your loved ones. It's also something that creates an ongoing revenue source for you through your retirement. So th- it, it does so much for you. In the, and the, there's more certainty in real estate than there is, in my opinion. And I'm invested in stocks and bonds and mutual mm-hmm. funds and all of that. And, and I do it because I want to be diversified and I trust the people that I invest with. But if the CEO of a company makes a bad decision, that company goes to zero. Mm-hmm. As if the market goes up or down, people still need shelter. And I and I heavily, heavily invest in residential real estate as opposed to commercial or industrial. Again, not because it's 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 a bad idea to be in commercial or industrial. It's what I know. It's what I'm comfortable with. And I also understand the fact that plus or minus a few hundred bucks, people will always need shelter. They will right. always 
need a place to live. They may not need that variety store or the donut shop or the coffee shop in a plaza. They might have to shut the doors down on that. But residential ownership will always be in demand, especially with population growth. So real estate now, the, the downside to that is that real estate has become an investment vehicle. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, you know, I've taken advantage of that. Most people have taken advantage of that and bought real estate, bought rental properties. And yes, you're creating housing, but you're also benefiting from that. There's So it's not, it's not that um, there has to be some sort of responsibility here uh, where, okay, and again, not a popular uh, opinion, but the, if you're an investor, the government's already taxing you heavily right now. Mm -hmm. If you're flipping, they're taxing you as if it's income because you're a flipper, not a capital gains. So there's a lot of that type of thing that has come into play. And there's a lot more monitoring on, on real estate as an investment vehicle. But if you're buying and holding, there's a lot of value to that. If you're buying and flipping, I'm not a big fan. I don't really even work with short-term buyers that are just like, hey, get me a deal. I want to flip a house. I want to make a quick buck. I'm not interested. I'm interested in those people who genuinely want to buy real estate, hold on to that asset, create generational wealth, create a portfolio that they can A, live off of and B, leave behind for their loved ones when they're gone. You talk about that idea and you've mentioned it before, this idea of a legacy. And I think it's that's extremely important. And if we and I and I give you a chance to chat a bit uh, more about your book right now, um, the real deal, billion dollar real estate broker. You've got a copy of it there with you. I do. Uh, is, plug. <laughs> is is that is that your legacy? Is that I know we've talked in the past about you know the whys and the hows and all of those kinds of things, but here's your chance that that book could be your legacy to say to other people, this is how I did it. And I've been successful. Um, and it, it's a it, you can you can follow along because you you also talked about in the book, you've there were pitfalls, there were, you know, there were stumbles along the way. And the one key thing that we we know is that we have to learn from our mistakes. Um, how how would you describe how important that book is to to your to what you do on a daily basis? So, the, you know, the primary focus for me to write that book was, and the reason I wrote it was, was a legacy for my children. And, right. you know, right. we're in this day and age where we don't sort of sit down with our kids and say, you know, here's what I did in my life and here's, but it's also a roadmap and, and it shows that failure is okay. I failed a lot. I went bankrupt at the age of 19 and I'm not embarrassed of that. I've learned from that. I learned mm -hmm. not to do in order to put myself in that position again. But it also shows that no matter what life hands you, there is always a way out of it. There's always a brighter side. There's always tomorrow. You can always pick up on those experiences and don't look at, I don't look at those things as failures. I look at those as experiences that have helped mold me into better decision-making to be able to create generational wealth now and and lessons and, and i wanted to basically journal the lessons of my life the mistakes that i made the experiences that i had what i learned through that journey um sometimes i learned through my own experiences and other times i i learned through others experiences and i want to share those things all in one spot um i'm often approached by uh associates fellow realtors asking to you know sort of meet with me and it's kind of difficult to meet with a lot of people and i thought you know what 
what I do, there is no secret to. How I invest, there's no secret to. Um, what I do in my day-to-day business, there's no secret to. So I've basically outlined all of it. I'm 35 years in the business now. And, and, and I decided, well, you know what? Nothing is proprietary. Everything yeah. I've done in my career, I've learned from other people. I've just learned to do it consistently and, and, and stay focused on and stay in my lane. And that's one of the important lessons that I've put in there is that, you know, you don't have to be everything to everyone. If you can specialize, if you could be consistently uh, doing outstanding things in one area of your career, uh, you're destined for greatness. You're destined to do very well in your life and gives you a very comfortable life at the end of the day. Um, and, 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 and also strategic investment ideas on, on how to invest, what to do in your life to make sure that you can, you know, retire at 65 or 70 or 75 if you wish to, um, with without having to cut back on your day to day, you can't, you know, I can't drive the car I want, I can't take the vacation I want, I can't, you know, do what I want to do for my friends, for my community, for my kids, because now I'm retired, you don't ever want to be in that position. So Mm -hmm. My whole idea behind it was to give people that recipe on what I did from the age of 18 to the age of 53 on being able to uh, create a consistent way of earning income and leaving something beyond that. And and you and I are are from the same generation, and I know that f- for us, and 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 uh, you've spoken about this before, and and me being uh, in the similar situation of, uh, you know, the the child of immigrants. The idea was, you will be a doctor, you will be a lawyer, you will be a, an engineer. Um, what was it that that made real estate? Uh, it caught your eye. What was it about? The, because that's not a normal path in, in for a lot of us when we're told one thing at home. Um, this is a, this was a different path. What was it that that really caught your eye? Well, you know, yeah, growing up, you know, I had I had three options: doctor, lawyer, or engineer, right? <laughs> And if, if I if I really sucked at it all, uh, no no offense to the pharmacist, become a pharmacist. Right? <laughs> so so when I came home and said to my mom and dad that I'm going to uh, be a real estate agent, I was the biggest disappointment ever. I had great marks, had just been accepted to uh, all the universities that I had applied to, and I said I'm not going. So you know, admittedly, my initial reason was I saw an opportunity to make money. That's right. what it was. But it, as an 18-year-old, you know, I didn't have any sort of wisdom to say, I'm going to save the world or anything. Um, it was just, where do I make a lot of money? And, you know, seeing my parents struggle and, and, and being an immigrant family and, 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 and knowing that everything was very difficult and there was never enough money for luxuries or trips or any of that, I wanted to break that sort of cycle. I wanted to do something different. And just as luck had it, um, in my first two months of being in real estate, I had great success as an 18-year-old kid right. who was still in high school. I was able to pull off some really large deals. And in those days where the average price of a home was $80,000, in mm-hmm. the first two months, I had sold $2 million worth of real estate. Wow. And, wow. and, and, the, and, and, and it was just like, wow, this is crazy. If I can do this well, this is back in 88 and 89. Now, of course, I had no idea that 1990 and 91 recession would hit and right. it wouldn't be so beautiful out there anymore. And that's when I went through some tough times 
but persevered and tried to navigate through those tough times. And that's a lot of what I've talked about in my in my in my story. But what what really kept me in the business was my passion, my joy, the just the ability to 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 help people create wealth, get their first home. And you know, for the first two years, I wasn't selling a lot of homes. Other than that first good run that I had that spoiled me to stay in the business, um, I, I I wasn't selling a lot of homes. I was just helping people find their first home as a rental because they were new immigrants coming into the country like my parents were. So it was just helping people, filling out employment forms, taking them to job interviews. So it was just that type of thing. And But what I learned from that is that it's really, really uh, fulfilling to be able to help people and then watch their journey of 35 years. And, you know, I, I, I'm so, so proud and happy to say that I'm on the third and fourth generation of those families. Like their grandchildren are still buying homes from me now, which is which is phenomenal. That's the that we're going to end on that because that's amazing. Faisal, I want to thank you for coming on the show again. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Uh, we always learn something new as well, too. Thanks again for giving us some of your time today. Always a pleasure being with you. Thank you for having me, Brock. That was Faisal Suzy Walla, Canada's top real estate broker, recently published author of The Real Deal, billion dollar real estate broker. Luckily for us, someone willing to share his thoughts on the current real estate market as well. Big thank you to our technical producer, Adam Sanderson, for pushing all the right buttons. And thanks to you listeners for joining us. You've been listening to Ask the Experts here on City News 570.